Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. Um, <clears throat> as I introduced the uh, theme uh, for this year, uh, Firm Foundation, I, I told you that we are going to be studying uh, this year the parables of Christ um, because nothing can get more closer to the fundamentals or the foundation of our faith than the things that Jesus taught. And as I was praying, because there are a lot of parables, um, as I was praying, uh, God directed me to this one. Um, and uh, the parable that we're going to talk about this morning uh, is very well known. Uh, most of you uh, could probably even tell the story of the prodigal son. Um, so the, the message this morning simply is the prodigal son. And it, I, I went back through the history. I, I keep all my sermons on the on my computer. And uh, did, we not, did I not give you the notes? Oh, that's bad. Oh, that's last. That was... Oh, you know what I'm doing? Oh, oh well. Oh, I know what I did. Don't worry about it. No, no, no notes tonight, That this morning. I know what I did. I'll explain later. I, I'll explain later. Um, anyway, uh, what, what I did is because I'm leaving town next week, I, I, this last week I re- prepared two sermons. And I... I yeah, so yeah, that's next week. So yeah, so we're flip-flopping sermons. You know, when things like this happen, I, I look at it as a God thing. Because obviously, um, somebody here needs this message this morning, okay? And so that's how I have to look at it. Uh, otherwise, I have to look at it as though I'm really stupid. <laughs> and I don't like looking at it that way. So, um, because I'm not. <clears throat> um uh, anyway, so we're going to talk about the prodigal son this morning. Um, I read an article many years ago, and I, I want to share just a snippet of it, but it, it came from um, the, the Wall Street Journal, uh, and it is a quote from the Wall Street Journal. It, said that, it says this, uh, in, in, in the, in, in the article was defining money, okay? Um, so this is just a snippet out of the article. It, it said this, uh, money is an article which may be used as a universal passport to everywhere except heaven. And as a universal provider for everything except happiness. Think about that. Let that kind of sink in. It is a universal article our <clears throat> uh, passport for everywhere except heaven and a universal provider for everything except happiness. I personally agree with that because you cannot buy your way to heaven and you cannot buy happiness. When I think of the prodigal son, uh, you know, we often uh, would define the, the story of the prodigal son as a wasted life, would we not? 
And I, I've, heard, I've heard many, many messages on that. But I, my question is this. Do you think that the story of the prodigal son is about a wasted life? Okay? It, 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 I, I, it really isn't. Now, can we make application to that? Absolutely. But that's not the main thrust of this story, this parable. You know, one, one of the techniques about storytelling is to, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, captivate your audience. And, and what, what better way to captivate his audience, being Jesus, than to tell a story that most people can relate to? Because we all, we all know people who have wasted their lives, do we not? So, so Jesus starts to tell the story about somebody who has wasted their life. And as, as, as they, he captivates and he draws them in to the story, at the end of the story, for lack of better terms, he drops the hammer. And that's where you find oftentimes the meaning of parables is at the end of the parable, not the beginning. Not every parable, but many of them. In fact, in fact, if you come back tonight, <clears throat> we're going to be talking about that that very thing. So, <clears throat> excuse me. In Luke chapter 15, let's start reading. Luke chapter 15, in verse 11, and he and he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me a portion of my goods that I, that falleth to me. And he divided unto unto them his living. <clears throat> Not so many days after, the young son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a, a, a mighty famine in the land and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of, of that country and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would fain having filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat. And no man gave unto him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time together. And we thank you for the word of God. More specifically, we thank you for the stories and the parables that you, you gave us to help us in our journey through life. And Lord, as we look at this parable, we do ask that you would guide and direct in a very special way. And Lord, use this, use this in our lives this morning to help us, to teach us, to stretch us, to make us more like you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> My first point this morning is this. Don't live with regret. Don't, don't live with regret. This is, this is absolutely one of, the main, one of the points that we can pull out of this, is don't live with regret. Here we have a young man that had everything. He had everything. But what happened? He wanted more. He, he believed that if he could only have his inheritance now, that he could truly be happy. 
The Bible says that he wasted his money. He just blew it. One of the things that I see way too often is people that regret choices that they make. Several years ago, most of you most of you know that I'm a chaplain with the sheriff's department. I got a call one day to respond to a house <clears throat> here in town, and <clears throat> when I got there, I, 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 it was it was quite unusual. I pulled up in the in the street, and there was a young lady. I would say in her mid twenties, maybe late twenties, laying in the front yard sobbing uncontrollably, just thrashing around and just, I mean, she was out of control. So I, I, I approached her and tried to calm her down and get a hold of the situation. And what had happened was, a few years prior, her and her parents had had words. And she left. Well, she got a call from her mom letting her know that her dad was dying. She got here as fast as she could so that she could talk to her dad and make things right. But guess what? She didn't make it. Don't live with regret. That's That's a horrible horrible way to live I've seen it way too many times people make choices and instead of writing those choices they swallow they swallow their pride or they excuse me they don't swallow their pride and they allow pride to get in between them and someone else and sometimes it's just too late Regret is a horrible thing. Here this young man had hit bottom. He, had, he, he, he was living the high life, if you would. And he ran out of money. And he ran out of friends. And he ends up feeding pigs. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this. I know we've talked about it before, but I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but this is a Jewish boy. And pigs are like the worst of the worst animals for a, for a Jew. Even today, they, you know, they still don't eat pork. Those poor people, they don't know what bacon tastes like. <clears throat> but can you imagine... As a as a young Jewish boy, well, he probably wasn't young as a, as a teenager, but he was probably in his twenties or thirties. But can you imagine getting so low that not only is he feeding pigs, but he's eating with them as well? That's hungry. That's pretty low. Don't live with regret. Warren Wearsby, one of my the commentators I read often, said this. 
sin promises freedom, but <clears throat> but it only brings slavery. John chapter 8, verse 34. It promises success, but brings failure. It promises life, but the wages of sin is death. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. The boy thought he would find himself, but he only lost himself. When God is left out of our lives, enjoyment becomes slavery. Don't live with regret. Point number two. Don't waste your life. Don't waste it. Look at verse 17. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father have enough uh, uh, bread enough uh, and, and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. Am I, excuse me, <clears throat> and am no uh, more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. In his own eyes, he realized that he had wasted his life. He, he came, the Bible says that he came to himself in verse 17. And, and that, that is almost, the, the implication here is that it just, it just dawned on him. Probably as he's eating the husk, that the, he's fighting pigs for food, it just dawned on him, what, what am I doing? It's that sudden impact of what 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 am I my I have wasted my life. My my dad's servants eat better than I am. And it says that he came to himself. He put into action a plan. He, the, the, the realization of his situation, the fact that he wasted his living and that those quote-unquote friends were really not friends. And all of a sudden, the reality of his situation hits him and he says, uh, I, I need to go home. And I will, I will go home and I'll tell my dad, look, dad, if nothing else, just give me a job doing something because I will eat better as a, as a servant to you than I am now. The question isn't if you and I are going to make a mistake. That's not the question. The question is when we make a mistake, what are we going to do? The, the question isn't if we're going to, we're all going to mess up. <clears throat> but what do you do when you mess up? See, that's the key. I was asked one time to define what a good carpenter is. And I said this, I said, a good carpenter is not defined by, by, his perfection, but how well he covers up the mistakes that he makes. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> right, Tony? 
caulking, sheetrock mud, they're awesome. Okay? But seriously, is, does, does anybody live in a house that's perfect? <laughs> okay? No. No, nobody does. They, they all have flaws. Some just have more than others. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. See, the reality is you're going, to, you're going to sin. You're going to make mistakes. But he that covereth his sin shall not prosper. But he that confesses and forsaketh them shall have mercy. When you mess up, own it. Jim Elliot said this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Solomon, the, the, the wise Solomon, David's son, King Solomon, said this in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 9 to 11. So, <clears throat> so I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me, and whatsoever mine eye desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. Then I looked on all the work of my hand had wrought, on the labor that I <clears throat> had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. Solomon said, hey, and, and it, I've, I've read theologians that believe that if in modern day society he would still be one of the richest men ever to live and undoubtedly one of the wisest men ever to live. And he said, anything my eye wanted, I got. Anything that I saw that, that might make me happy, I took. Whatever it was, I, I wanted it, I got it. Because he could afford it. But at the end of his life, he said, it's all, it's all vanity and vexation. It didn't mean a thing. Temporary enjoyment. But he sums it up in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of men. Number one, don't live with regret. Number two, don't waste your life. Now, points three and four here, I want to I warn you, or not warn, but I, wanna, I want you to pay attention to, because points three and four are the main purpose of the parable. Okay? So don't, don't fall asleep now. This is not the time to fall asleep. Everybody stand up. No, I'm teasing. Uh, <clears throat> number three, be quick to forgive. Be quick to forgive. 
Look at verse 20 of our passage. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto his father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said unto his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Be quick to forgive. This story is a beautiful story of God's love for you and me. Because the reality is we are all going to fail. We're all going to sin. And this is a wonderful, beautiful picture of God's love and forgiveness for us. He is always quick to forgive. The father did not say, hey, welcome home, son. What did he do? He ran and he hugged his neck. Now, there's a couple of things here I want to look at in the story that are really vital in this this section of the story. First off, the father never stopped looking for the son. He saw him afar off. The father never quit looking. Again, it's a wonderful picture of our Heavenly Father when we mess up. He is always there, always watching, always waiting for us to come home. He never gives up on us. I can't, I can't overemphasize that enough. He never gives up on us. The second thing that is important in, the, in this part of the story is the fact that he ran to his son. You know, in our society today, um, you know, we, we look at that and we think, yeah, that's not that, you know, that's not that big a deal, but in that in that society he was he was a patriarch he he was he was an elder and, and all you know and and old men in that in this society did not run anywhere they just didn't do it it was it was not respectful it was not dignified but he threw all that out the window when he saw his son he took off running what a wonderful picture of our Heavenly Father. And he runs. And he hugs his neck. But why did he run? Obviously, the, the obvious reason, one of the obvious reasons, would be because he loved his son. 
and he wanted to hug his son and he, he sees his son coming afar off and he just takes off running, which again is not normal. But there's another reason why he would have run. It could be very possible that he ran to save his son's life. See, you got to understand the culture of the day. The culture of the day <clears throat> when, when a son did what this son did, not only was the sin against the father, it was against the, the entire family, but it was a sin against the entire village or the community that they lived in. And according to De Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 18 to 21, we're not going to read it for time's sake, but in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 18 to 21, the law said that they had the right to stone him for what he had done. And by running to his son, more than likely passing many of his neighbors and embracing his son, what was he doing? He was shielding his son. I don't know about you, but what was he trying to do? He was trying to prevent what his son deserved by law. My question is this, what do we deserve because of our sin? We deserve death. But Jesus Christ, what an incredible picture for us today. Be quick to forgive. His actions more than likely saved this, his son's life. Then he does some things here in verse 22. It says, uh, it says uh, <clears throat> verse 22, And the father said unto his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet. And we, you know, we again we look at these and we're like, what, you know, I don't get it because we don't. It, it's a cultural thing. You have to understand the culture. More than likely, the rope. <clears throat> okay, let, let me ask you a question. Did the servants open up his luggage and look for a robe? No. What did they do? They went and got one of the father's robes. And put it on him. This is incredibly significant in this in this culture, <clears throat> because it is a sign of acceptance by the father. The second thing he does, he says to, to put a, a ring on his finger. This is a sign of sonship. Or the, the fact that he was recognizing, not only was he recognizing him uh, to being back into the family, but by putting a ring on his finger, it was signifying that he is, he is my son. And he was reestablishing the fact that he is, he is the son of mine in this family. Now, let me say this. He had already spent his inheritance. He didn't, he wasn't getting any more. He wasn't getting any more of that, okay? 
<clears throat> he already blew that. But the fact that he was had the ring meant that he he was recognizing him as his son. Incredibly important in that society. Then he says that he put shoes on his feet. Again, this is very significant because only property owners or wealthy people wore shoes. So they, all three of these were very important elements of the acceptance back into the family. Now, let me ask you a question. What happens when a person gets saved? Are we not adopted into the family of God? What a beautiful picture here. God forgives and he brings us into the, into the family of God. And we become his sons and daughters. What a precious picture. And then he has a feast. The feast, not only uh, did he do all these, these things, the, the, the robe, the ring, and the shoes, but he wanted to make a public statement by having a feast. And more than likely, we don't know this, but more than likely, everybody in the village or the community there was invited to come because he wanted to make a statement to everybody there, my son has returned. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Number one, don't live with regret. Number two, don't waste your life. Number three, be quick to forgive. And then number four, protect your heart. Protect your heart. Look at verse 25. <clears throat> now when his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received uh, him safely and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answered and said un, uh, to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgress I at any time thy commandments. And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as his father was come, which hath devoured, <coughs> excuse me, but as soon as thy son had come, <coughs> which had devoured thy living with, har with harlots, thou hast killed uh, for him the fatted calf. And he said unto his son, Thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead, and all shall live, uh, and, <clears throat> excuse me, and is alive again. 
and was lost and is found. We don't know much. <clears throat> excuse me. We don't know much about the elder brother in this story. But we do know one thing. He had become bitter. And in this story, there are four reasons given for his bitterness. The first one is the fact that he was self-righteous. Everything had to be about him. Everything, his, his focus was on his own sacrifice. I, I'm the one, Dad, Dad, I'm the one who stayed. I'm the one who worked. I never complained. And, and at least on the outside, he never complained. I, I can almost guarantee his heart was not good. Just saying. He didn't complain on the outside, but, uh, you know, it's like the old thing. You know, you take a kid and you say, sit down. Poof, and the kid looks at the, at the parents and said, I may be sitting on the outside, but I'm not sitting on the inside. He may not have been complaining on the outside, but he was complaining on the inside. Everything had to be about him. And not only that, but he was quick to point out his father's fault or his brother's faults. I always get weary of people who are always quick to point a finger at other people. Why? Because people that do that have a, have a need to tear others down so that they feel important. He was self-righteous. Second, he was filled with pride. Look at verse 29. <clears throat> and the answer said, Lo, uh, uh, said to his father, Lo, these many years I have served uh, thee, neither transgress I, uh, transgress I uh, <clears throat> at any time thy commandments, and yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. And my, my first thought was, well, why didn't you do it yourself, number one? <laughs> but verse 29 just smacks of pride. I never disobeyed. I, all, I, I was always faithful. But I can't help but wonder why he never disobeyed. Why he was always faithful. I always, I don't know, this is just me, and this is not scripture, this is me. I, I, I always kind of took it as he was just waiting for the old man to die so he could have it all. That's how I always kind of looked at it. He was just biding his time. Pride. Pride is a horrible, horrible thing. Pride has destroyed a lot of people. Pride is one of the things that causes people to never forgive. And it's obvious that he never forgave. Number three, he was indifferent. The third reason we know that he was bitter was because he was indifferent. Not only was he not looking for his brother like his, like his father was, but the servants had to tell him what all the commotion was about. He had no clue. 
He was indifferent to his brother's plight. In fact, I believe that he, he was even hoping his brother never came home. Even though he knew his father ached to see his brother. Indifference is a horrible way to live. Indifference is something that steals our joy away. Everybody in this chapter experienced joy except the elder brother. The younger son experienced the joy of returning and being received by a loving, gracious father. The father experienced joy of receiving his son back safe and sound. But the elder brother would not forgive his brother. So he, he had no joy. He could have repented and attended, uh, 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 and attended the feast, but he refused. So he stayed outside and suffered. Indifference. It's a horrible way to live. And then we see that he was angry. Anger is probably the most destructive part of this scenario. When a person becomes angry, they don't listen to reason. Have you ever tried to rationalize with somebody who's angry? It doesn't work very good, does it? No, they, they, they're, they, they're, they're irrational. And the, the, the older son clearly was not listening to the father. He was angry at his brother. He was clearly angry at his father. And I even suppose he was angry at the servants because the servants at least appeared to be rejoicing with the father that the son had returned. He was, he was angry to everybody. And anger is something that blinds a person and bitterness will take over and consume them. I have a little side note here in closing. I, and and I, I, I really hope you get this because this is really kind of the, the crust of, of the whole parable. The same father that ran to the son and hugged his neck to protect him is the exact same father that pleaded with the older son to get his heart right. What an incredible picture of our Heavenly Father. He never gives up on us. Never gives up on us. So, what can we take away from this parable? I have five things written down that I took away from this parable. Number one, if you have a wayward child, there's always hope. Right? There's always hope. Number two, if you are away from God, the Heavenly Father is always there to welcome you home.
Number three, God never gives up. He never, he never quits on us. He never does. Number four, always, always, always be willing to quickly forgive. Don't let it, don't let it fester. Somebody hurts you, do everything you can to get it right as fast as you can. If somebody asks for forgiveness, forgive. Be quick to forgive. And then the last takeaway that I had is don't let bitterness and anger steal away your joy. Because when we become bitter and angry, just like the older son here, we miss out on so much. We miss out on the blessings of the Father. Again, and I, I, if I really tried, we, I could probably come up with a few more. And God may be even right now working in your heart about something about this parable. Incredible, incredible parable. But it's not really about the money and the wasted life. It's really about forgiveness. And not and, and, and being first and quick to forgive. But it's also about unforgiveness. And how the fact is we like to hang on to it. And when we hang on to unforgiveness, bitterness will ruin our lives. And we see that played out in the life of the older brother. How very sad. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love. And Lord, I thank you for this incredible story. And Lord, as we conclude our service, I do ask that you would speak to our hearts and that you would help us to be more like you. Lord, you know us. You know us inside and out. You know our hearts. You know our thoughts. You know the intents of our hearts. And Lord, I do ask as we come to you this morning in prayer that you would speak to our hearts, that you would encourage us, that you would help us to quite possibly make some changes in our lives. I know that as I studied this passage, it was an incredible encouragement to me to do some re-examining in my life. And I thank you for that. And I ask your God that you would give us wisdom so that we would make good and right choices. With every head bowed and every